Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not a silent God. That you have spoken to us through your word. Please humble our hearts now that we would be receiving your words to us in belief, trust and obedience for the glory of your name. Amen. Last week we started a new series in the book of Ruth. In chapter 1 we saw how Elimelech abandoned God. He left the land of Israel, the place that God had provided for his people to live in relationship with him. Elimelech left that and went to a different country. The land of Israel was undergoing a famine at the time as judgment on the people for their unfaithfulness. But instead of repenting, instead of seeking the Lord's favor, Elimelech leaves with his family. He takes his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Marlon and Kilion, and flees to Moab, a wicked nation, a nation that had caused Israel great pain and strife in the past. Tragically, Elimelech died in Moab, and ten years later, both Marlon and Kilion, his sons, die too, each leaving behind Moabite widows, Ruth and Orpah. So Naomi was left alone with her two Moabite daughter-in-laws. And Naomi decides to return home to Israel. She's heard that there's food there now. And so she gets her daughters-in-law together and tells them, return to your households. My husband's dead. Your husbands are dead. Go back to your own family's provision. I can't help you anymore. Orpah was hesitant at first. She didn't want to leave Naomi, but eventually she concedes and she returns to her family in Moab. But we're told that Ruth clung to Naomi. She wouldn't let her go. She was adamant to go back with Naomi to Israel and continue caring for her there. Ruth was willing to leave her family and her native land forever. As a Moabite, she demonstrated incredible faith in the God of Israel and an incredibly loyal and sacrificial love for her mother-in-law, Naomi. The last scene that we saw last week in chapter 1 was Naomi and Ruth back in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And that's where we're picking up from tonight. Under our first main heading, Ruth goes to glean some grain. Ruth goes to glean some grain. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. So Naomi, a a destitute Israelite widow, and Ruth, who is constantly referred to in this passage as a foreigner, a Moabite, are back in Israel. And they would have been in a very, very poor state indeed. No income, no possessions of serious value. So Ruth decides to take action. After all, her main purpose in going back to Israel with Naomi was to look after her. She had to find some food somewhere. Well, she decided to make that duty a reality. We read in chapter 2, verse 2, she says to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight 
I shall find favor. You see, God had made provision in his law for people like Ruth. Let me just read you a part of it from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 17 to 22. The words are actually up on the screen, so you don't need to turn to it. Deuteronomy chapter 24, 17 to 22. It reads, You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner, or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field, and you forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore I command you to do this. Well, Ruth meets all three conditions as one who should benefit from this law in Deuteronomy. Ruth was a Moabite. She was a sojourner, a foreigner in the land of Israel. She was a widow, so she couldn't rely on her husband for provision. And in a sense, she was fatherless because she had abandoned, she had left her family in Moab for the sake of Naomi. In no way was she under her natural father's provision anymore. So if an Israelite were being faithful when they met Ruth, they would remember the love that God had shown them back in Egypt when they were enslaved. And so they would have compassion on Ruth, letting her glean in their fields, letting her pick up any grain that their workers might leave behind. In verse 4, we are introduced to one of these faithful, God-fearing men, a man called Boaz. Boaz is the last main character in the story of Ruth. And we're told two key things about him in verse 1. Firstly, he's described as a worthy man, which meant he was greatly respected in Israel, a very capable man and rather wealthy too. We'll see a lot of evidence for why Israel respected Boaz so much a bit later. Secondly, we're told he's of the clan of Elimelech. He was in some way related to Naomi's deceased husband. That's going to be very important for our story a bit later too. Boaz has just returned from Bethlehem from the city. He's coming back to his barley fields. And wouldn't you know it, at the exact time when he arrives, Ruth just happens to stumble across Boaz's field. And Boaz notices her in the distance. He hasn't seen her before. If you like, she catches his eye. And so he calls over his chief servant and asks him, who is that woman? And the servant replies in verse 6. Read with me, verse 6. She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Well, Boaz could now put a face to the name. You see, we know from a little bit further down in verse 11 that Boaz already knew something about Ruth. He already knew what she had done for her mother-in-law, Naomi, 
And he goes over to her. But he greets her in a very strange way. When Boaz first talks to Ruth, he calls her daughter. My daughter. He recognizes Ruth as a fellow Israelite. Even though time and again in this passage, she's spoken of as a Moabite, a foreigner. And he tells her, you stay in my field. You carry on gleaning here. Don't you dare go anywhere else. Stay in my field, under my provision. Boaz reassures her, you won't be attacked if you stay with my women workers. Stay here, Ruth. We know that the story of Ruth is happening at the time of Judges, when men in Israel were doing as they saw fit. It was a sadly common occurrence, no doubt, for men to be molesting helpless women. So Boaz's promise of protection for Ruth would have meant a great deal to her. But it doesn't stop there. Boaz gives her provision to drink water whenever she's thirsty. He shows Ruth incredible compassion and generosity, well beyond what the letter of the law, what we just read in Deuteronomy, demanded. All Boaz had to do was let Ruth glean in his field. He could have just gone, oh, you're Ruth, you're a sojourner, okay, well, just... Just follow my workers then. Just glean. Didn't have to be a promise of protection. He didn't have to give her a drink. All Boaz had to do was let Ruth glean in his field. Nothing more. And Ruth knew that. She knew she was being treated really generously. So she bows to the ground humbly. And she asks Boaz, Why? Why are you treating me so well? And then Boaz reveals to Ruth that he knows more about her than she thought at first. He knew what Ruth had done for Naomi, how she had left her home and come to a foreign place with no promise of security for the sake of Naomi. And Boaz, in turn, is blessing her. He treats her as a fellow Israelite. He grants her provision in food. He grants her protection from thugs. Boaz prays that the Lord would repay Ruth for her love towards Naomi and her faith in the God of Israel. Because she had forsaken the security of her homeland and sought refuge in the God of Israel. Boaz says in verse 12 that she had sought refuge under God's wings. It's a bit like if you were to take a walk in Kale and you would go through one of the kampongs, one of the villages, and you see a, a hen walking around with her young. And when danger comes close, the hen would gather her young together and put them under her wings, provide them the warmth that they need and any protection if danger was close. Well, in that sense, Ruth had come to God and taken refuge under his wings. Boaz's generosity doesn't end with just allowing Ruth to eat grain. And drink. When it came to dinner time, she was invited to eat at the table. Even though she only had the status of a maidservant, there was so much food that there was just stuff left over. She had takeaway too. And after she had eaten, Boaz tells his workers to let Ruth glean from the choice grain. They're even told to take straw out of the bundles that they collected and leave it on the floor for her. It's well beyond the call of duty. 
At the end of the day, Ruth went home with a full tummy, leftovers from dinner, and approximately 22 litres of barley. That's massive. That sort of provision for a foreigner and a widow would have been just, it would have just been unheard of in Israel's day. People wouldn't have believed it if they were told. On to our third heading, Ruth's first report to Naomi, chapter 2, verse 18. Ruth gets home, lugging no doubt all of her grain. She had an awful lot to carry. And as soon as she sees Naomi, Naomi's just astounded. She can't believe it. She asks Ruth, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Naomi probably half thought that Ruth had gone and robbed a barn. So Ruth told Naomi about Boaz. And Naomi responds in verse 20, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. There's a bit of a play on words here in verse 20. The whose kindness could be speaking equally of Boaz's kindness or the Lord's kindness to them. And I don't think the author means us to actually separate the two. God had shown Naomi and Ruth great kindness through the provision of Boaz. Naomi knew that Ruth just stumbling into Boaz's field just at the right time when Boaz should arrive to see her. It wasn't a matter of lucky coincidence. God was providing for them through normal circumstances. Through normal circumstances. Brings us to our first point of application. God's provision through normal circumstances. Do we believe that God can work powerfully through normal situations today? Friends, we we face huge decisions in life. And when we need to make those decisions, we often want clearer direction from God. We might wish for some writing on the wall, maybe a little bit of divine intervention, just so that we could absolutely know what God's will is in that one decision. This one critical decision that we have to make. Maybe we're coming to the end of uni and we can't decide what kind of work we want to get involved in. Or we're at a crossroad in our career and we don't know what path to take. Maybe we've met someone and we're trying to work out whether to pursue a relationship with them or not. And we want to know what God's will is for us in that matter. We want him literally to tell us What to do? Friends, the book of Ruth challenges our understanding of how God's providence works in our daily lives. Not once in the book of Ruth do we find the words, the Lord said, do this. The Lord said, do that. Not once were Ruth and Naomi given a clear sign of direction directly from God. In fact, God doesn't speak or act in an extraordinary manner once in this whole story. But we know that God was at work in his sovereignty behind the scenes. Like the coincidence of Ruth stumbling across Boaz's field. And Boaz's timely arrival just in time to see her in the distance and ask his chief servant, who's that woman? The fact that Boaz had already heard of Ruth and the incredible sacrifice that she had made for Naomi. 
normal situations, friends, that God was using to bring about his purposes. All Ruth had was a basic understanding of the law from her Israelite family and an unshakable faith, dependence, a trust in God. In the same way we as Christians today have the law for us in the Bible. And sometimes the Bible will speak directly into our decisions. If we're trying to work out whether it's okay to marry a non-Christian, to get drunk, or to uh, do something immoral at work, well, it shouldn't be that hard to work out as Christians what we should do, because we have clear directions in the Bible. That tells us those things are wrong. But there will be times when the Bible falls silent concerning some big decisions. Is that the time to start looking for signs? Should we start scouring the walls for that divine writing that will tell us what to do? Should we wait for a vision or start reading into our dreams? Friends, God can and does use special means to direct his people in specific situations. I'm not denying that. He does do it. But more often than not, God works today the same way he was working his providence in Ruth. He doesn't want us begging him for signs and not making a move until we've received them. He wants us to honour him through obedience to his word. And that won't necessarily mean having all of the answers. Let's say you've got two jobs in front of you. There's nothing between them. God didn't tell Ruth, you're going to go and glean in that field. And the Bible is silent on what occupation you should pursue as long as it's not immoral. So when we're faced with that decision, we can say, okay, I'll try that one. No one told me, Tim, that's God's place for you when I was trying to make my decision about coming here to work as an apprentice in Malaysia. I had to work out what I could do with the gifts that God has given me which would best glorify him. And I had to take a risk. I didn't come to Malaysia knowing for sure that this was God's place for me. I trusted that God in his sovereignty would put me where he wanted me. Don't expect God to give you the answer through some supernatural means. He hasn't promised that to us. He expects us to make decisions as we trust him. He's given us his word to guide us. And we know that he is in control. In the book of Proverbs, we're told, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord directs and determines his steps. That's Proverbs 16 verse 9 for anyone taking notes. So honour God in your decisions. Please honour him. But don't be afraid to make decisions, even when you're not 100% sure what you should do. Well, back to Ruth. We're in chapter 2, verse 20, if you've lost track. Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, has just received the really positive report about Boaz and his incredible generosity to Ruth. But Naomi believed that God's provision for them through Boaz wasn't going to end with just a bit of food and some water. You see, Naomi knew something about this man, this man, Boaz, that Ruth didn't know. 
Remember what we were told about him at the beginning of chapter 2? Boaz was of the clan of Elimelech. Look at what Naomi tells Ruth at the end of verse 20. Right at the end of verse 20, Naomi says to Ruth, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. One of our redeemers. Boaz was what the Israelites called a kinsman redeemer. Now, seeing as none of us here grew up in the customs of ancient Israel, let me just explain what a kinsman redeemer was. Kinsman redeemer was the closest blood relative to any one given person at any given time. If you like, the closest um, phrase we'd use today is just next of kin. And they had certain responsibilities. If a man had been murdered, it was the responsibility of his next of kin to avenge his death, to bring that killer to justice. If a man had been sold into slavery, it was the job of his kinsman redeemer, his next of kin, to buy him back from slavery. But in this situation, in Ruth, the responsibility of Boaz as Ruth's kinsman redeemer was marriage. Because Ruth's husband was dead, And Ruth had no children. She had no heir. And that had presented two problems for them. Number one, the family inheritance, in this case a plot of land that we're told about later in chapter 4 verse 3, would be lost because Ruth had no heir. She had no children to pass it to. And secondly, Elimelech's name and line would be blotted out of the Israelite history books forever. But if Boaz were to redeem Ruth through marriage, then their first son would continue Elimelech's line and he would receive the inheritance of Elimelech, that piece of land. It was one of the ways in which bloodlines and family possessions were preserved in Israel. So in verse 22, Naomi encourages Ruth to continue under Boaz's provision. Stay in his field. Stay under his protection. And that's exactly what Ruth does. And she lives with Naomi to the end of the harvests. That brings us to the end of chapter 2. Our fourth heading. Ruth and Boaz on the threshing floor. Chapter 3 verses 1 to 13. The beginning of chapter 3, Naomi, if you like, suddenly goes into action mode. Possibly because they're going to run out of food quite soon. We're told that the barley harvest had ended. Food needs to come from somewhere. Come with me to chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that's Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Naomi's still really concerned for Ruth and Ruth's well-being in the future. And she sees Boaz, this kinsman redeemer, as the answer to their problems. So she devises this little plan to bring Ruth and Boaz together. Firstly, Ruth Ruth has got to have a wash and make herself look really pretty. Then she's got to go down to the fleshing... uh, I'm going to get my words mixed up now. Then she's got to go down to the threshing floor where Boaz is working. And she's got to wait. She's not to disturb Boaz until he's finished having dinner. I guess it's a well-known fact that if a man's eating and drinking, he's not going to be paying much attention to anything else. Ruth is to observe where Boaz lies down and then go to him. 
She's to uncover his feet, which may or may not be a euphemism for the lower part of his body, and then she's to lie down beside him. This was probably the the customary way of a woman to propose, given this extraordinary situation. So Ruth does exactly what she's told, and Boaz gets the shock of his life. There he is, just soundly sleeping away, and he rolls over in the middle of the night, and he hits something. It's rather large something, and it's soft as well. It's a young woman, it's lying beside him, and she's uncovered him too. Grief, it would have made me jump, I imagine it made him jump too. Thankfully, Ruth doesn't take long to reveal who she is. She says to Boaz in verse 9, verse 9, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Well, isn't this a good lesson and be careful what you pray for? Earlier in chapter 2, Boaz had prayed that the Lord bless Ruth as she took refuge under him. His exact words were, in whose wings you have taken refuge. Well, now Ruth sees Boaz as the fulfillment of his own prayer. She says to him, spread your wings over your servant. In other words, I'm taking my refuge in you. You are the blessing of provision and protection that you ask God to give me. So be careful what you pray for, friends. You might just end up being the answer to your own prayer. Well, Boaz is delighted. He tells Ruth that this kindness, which literally in the Hebrew is hesed, meaning loyal love, this loyal love is far greater than the first kindness, the loyal love that she had showed in forsaking her own family and her own land to care for her mother-in-law, Naomi, in Israel. You see, we're told Ruth could have had a younger man. She had a very good reputation among the locals. But for the sake of her family and the continuance of their name in Israel, she was willing to marry Boaz, much older man. And this kindness, as far as Boaz was concerned, was much, much greater than the first. He no doubt wanted to accept straight away. But there was a problem. Boaz knew he was not the closest living kin to Elimelech. And by the law, the closest next of kin was the one who had the responsibility to redeem Ruth and her family. Boaz shows incredible restraint at this point by doing the right thing. He doesn't take advantage of the situation. He doesn't take Ruth to be his wife that very night. Instead, he informs her, verse 12, about this next of kin and promises to speak to him in the morning. And if the next of kin would not take Ruth, if he would not redeem Ruth, then Boaz would. Friends, God's way is always the best way. I wonder what I would have done if I had been in Boaz's shoes at that point in the story. He he could have thought to himself, well, Ruth's here. She's lying at the bottom of my bed and she's giving herself to me. She doesn't even know about the next of kin. What harm would it do if I were to take her to be my wife right now, this very night? After all, I've been so kind to Ruth. And I'm an old man too. 
Young girls like Ruth don't normally come along, and when they do, they don't show any interest in me. It would have been so tempting for Boaz to rationalise sin. To rationalise sin at this point. That's what Elimelech did back in chapter 1. Forsaking God, abandoning God's land, God's provision for him, and depending on a wicked nation, Moab. Oh, no doubt he had rationalised it. He had worked out, oh, that's the best thing to do in my mind. But God's law stood against him. As a wise man once said, what the heart wants, the mind justifies, and the will does. But Boaz, in contrast, points us to an even greater example of obedience that we have in Jesus. He never rationalized sin, friends. At one time during his ministry, Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. Satan came to him after he had starved for 40 days and offered him a loaf of bread. All Jesus had to do was bow down to Satan. To say, Satan, you are the king of me. But Jesus knew that wasn't right. And he remained obedient to his heavenly father. And that obedience led him to the cross for us. How will we be tempted to forsake God this week? Maybe we're offered a bribe to get out of a bit of a difficult situation. And we know God hates bribes. We know he hates unjust measures. We know he hates the rich getting off scot-free just because they're wealthy. Maybe it'll be sexual temptation. We want to do something that we know to be immoral. Like Boaz, no doubt, would have been tempted to do. Friends, God's way is always the best way. Even in those times when the other option looks so attractive. Boaz knew that. He feared God. Let's model him. Let's model Jesus, who trusted his heavenly Father perfectly in total obedience, no matter what was being offered and no matter what it would cost him. Back to our story. And Ruth head backs to Naomi again. Our final heading, Ruth's second report to Naomi. Now, to save embarrassment on Ruth's part, and any misunderstandings about what really went on during the night down on the threshing floor, we're told in verse 14 that she got up just before dawn, before anyone could actually just make out each other's faces. And Boaz tells his servants to keep silent about Ruth's visit in the night. They didn't want any bad rumours starting on the threshing floor. But before Ruth leaves Boaz to go back to Naomi, Boaz gives her Six measures of barley. He doesn't want her to go back empty-handed to her mother-in-law. Ruth takes the barley and she goes back and Naomi anxiously, no doubt waiting at the door, she's got all these questions and she says, how did it go, my daughter? Literally in the Hebrew, it's, who are you? Are you a married woman? And Ruth goes on to explain everything that had happened on the threshing floor the night before. Naomi is really relieved. She knows that Boaz is an honourable man. He will not rest until the matter is settled. At the end of chapter 1, Naomi was despairing. She was saying, the Lord has brought me back empty. 
But now, through this godly man Boaz, the Lord was restoring Naomi and Ruth. They had hope. They had a future. They had the promise of secure rest again. Will Ruth marry Boaz in the end? We'll come back next week. Or you can just read on in chapter 4 if you really can't wait. I just want to make one last application from what we've seen tonight before we close. Where is your rest, friends? Where is your rest? Ruth is a story which shows in a, in a small way God's kindness in providing rest for those who seek him. In chapter 3, verse 1, we saw how Naomi sought rest for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And the Lord gave that promise of rest to Naomi and Ruth through Boaz, who would not tire until Ruth had been redeemed. But the secure rest of a kinsman redeemer points forward to something much, much greater. It points forward to the rest God has now made available to us here today through his son, Jesus. Where do you find your rest? I'm not talking about the kind of rest that you receive each night when you go to bed. I'm talking about true rest. The foundation for your contentment, your fulfillment. The thing that brings you security in your life. Have you found that kind of rest yet? So many people down the ages from all different walks of life have lamented over the fact they could never find that kind of rest. True rest. And their laments lead to the question, well, why are we so restless in the first place? Why is contentment in life so hard to find? Why, when we commit ourselves to family, to work, to pleasure, do those things hardly ever bring back the contentment, the rest that we want them to bring us? We expect them to give us. Well, friends, the Bible tells us it's because ultimately we won't find rest in those things. We never will. We're only going to find true rest in one place. And that is in the God who made us. It's in the God who sustains us. Because that is why he created us. To live in his rest and enjoy him forever. The problem is, we have been put out of that rest. That's why we're so restless. We've been put out of the rest that he created us for. Because all of us, like Elimelech, back in chapter 1, have decided to reject him. We have abandoned God. We've made ourselves the kings of our own lives. We want to call the shots. We don't want to give him his rightful place as God, as king, as ruler. No, we want that job. And as a punishment for that rebellion against him, we are spiritually cut off. Spiritually cut off from God. In this life, we are cut off from him spiritually, but we still receive his blessings. The sun still rises each morning. We still eat food from the land. Rain comes down on the crops. We still have oxygen to breathe. They're all blessings from God. He made it. But once we die, we will be cut off from him totally. 
and permanently. That is why the story of Ruth is such good news, friends. Because in it, we see God showing kindness by giving rest to Naomi, a woman who had abandoned God, who had gone off to a wicked nation. We see him giving kindness and rest to Ruth, a foreigner from the wicked nation of Moab. The story of Ruth points forward to the ultimate demonstration of God's love for all mankind through his son. You remember what we read in our New Testament reading a little while ago from Matthew's Gospel? We're just going to have a bit of it on the screen. Just part of it. It's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' words to us. How can we receive true rest now, friends? The rest that God made us for? Well, it's through Jesus. It's through depending on him, on what he's done for us. Jesus is the one who has made us re-entering God's rest possible by giving his own life in our place. When he died on that cruel cross on Calvary, he took the full punishment for our sin, for yours, for mine. He took the full punishment for the very thing that cuts us off from God. Our willful rejection of him as our ruler. Our king, our God. But the story didn't end there. Jesus rose again three days later to new life. And we receive new spiritual life now through trusting in him as our saviour, as our king. Friends, that is why these people are being baptised tonight. Because they've accepted the new life that God offers to them in Jesus. They've been restless And now they've found their rest in him. They've received forgiveness for their sins. God no longer holds that against them. They now have relationship with him. That will lead to being with him in his rest fully for eternity. It doesn't mean that all of their problems are going to disappear overnight just because they've become Christians. Ruth had to make real sacrifices to enter into God's rest. She left her home. She left her family. She left everything she knew. And then she took refuge in the Lord. And some of us here today may have experienced that sacrifice ourselves. We still live in a sinful world. A world of pain. A world of suffering. We all know that. But God tells us in his word that this world that we live in will end one day. When Jesus returns to gather all of those who have trusted in him, who have depended on him for their forgiveness, for their reconciliation with God, and for the rest that he offers in him. That's where he will take them, friends, to be in his rest forever. But for those who refuse him, for those who say, no thanks, I'm going to go my way, I'll be the king of my own life. Well, they will remain guilty of rebelling against God. Eternally separated from God and all of his blessings 
from the rest that we were made for. Ruth was very, very wise to take refuge under God's wings, even though the cost seemed so great at the time. To place security in God is no folly. He is the only one who can give us true rest. So will you accept Jesus? Will you receive the rest that God offers to us through him? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Friends, put your trust in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for the ways in which you have, through the story of Ruth, shown your uh, loving kindness uh, uh, to them and how that points forward to the loving kindness you show us in your Son, Jesus. Thank you that we are able to re-enter that rest that we were made for uh, through his death on the cross for us. Help us to trust, depend on him this week, to be living with him as our King as we look forward to the fullness of rest that we will enjoy with him for eternity on the day he returns. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.